Today we're in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord. Well, I stand up here before you this morning as one who's confessing weakness. Um, it's been a long week for me. Um, walked through a week with a family who's gone, gone through deep tragedy. Um, that's a hard thing. In a pastoral role, it exhausts you. You're walking as both a friend and a human, but also a pastor uh, when a family's going through something that's um, really unspeakably difficult. Um, as I was studying and going through as we're in the beginning of a study on the book of Matthew, I was interested that I felt like the word, we're beginning now with uh, John the Baptist, the word repent. And I was thinking as I heard this word given to me, as I'm going through with this family, this word repent for me. And I'm thinking, Lord, I, I don't, I don't think I need to repent. I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. And then I woke up Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Nancy and I had had this discussion over, so how much are we going to give, honey? And um, I'll confess her figure was a whole lot higher than mine. It's an indication of her faith. It's also an indication of, in some ways, my not my lack of commitment, but a heart divided. And I heard the word of the Lord to me, repent, not because I wasn't giving enough, but because as I trust in my own strength to walk through a tragedy, I don't have enough. As I trust in my own finances or bank account, I, I don't have enough. I don't have enough to build the building. I don't have enough to do almost anything. Then, thank the Lord, I lost my voice. So as I'm trying to preach outdoors, speak at a service, as I'm trying to go through my week, this is the by far the best I've sounded in at least a week, week and a half. And as I woke up in a panic 
Wednesday night, Thursday morning, thinking, Lord, what are we doing? We're just this little church. Why are we, why are we even trying to do this? And I could hear the voice of the enemy saying, it'll never work. It wasn't Eeyore. It was the enemy saying, this will never work. And I heard the word of the Lord that says, repent. And it wasn't even that I'd sinned. It was that the word of the Lord for repent is that we would turn to him, that we would make sure that all that we are and all that we have comes out of our relationship with him. As we go through the book of Matthew, one of the things is we've done a flyover and we've started looking at what this book is. And what we've seen is that Matthew is really trying to get the people that were reading this book, the early Jewish believers in Jesus in particular, to acknowledge that this Messiah, this Jesus, isn't starting from zero, that he's coming directly out of all the pointers that have been put for us in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. And we've looked at how Jesus is the perfect Abraham, the one who's walked in faith, And last week, we saw the structure of the book trying to tell us he's Moses. He is the new Moses teaching us. And that we we have almost like when you are, um, and I'm not a sailor, but I know about this. You, You throw grappling hooks off the side of one boat or some sort of hook to pull and a line to pull two boats together. Is that Matthew is almost trying to throw these lines over to pull us into the New Testament from the Old. And it fits really beautifully together. The son of David, the line from Abraham, son of Isaac, son of Jacob, all the way to Jesus. And then the picture of Jesus preaching the new Moses. And now we look at this character of John the Baptist. I know I'm not giving good attention to the birth story and the first two chapters. We are going to pick that up a little bit in Advent, so know that I've given short shrift to chapters one and two, but we will come back and pick it up. I want us to look, though, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter three, and I want us to look at this word of repentance, this word of making and preparing the way of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, what's been happening in the word of the Lord now? What's been happening in the Bible? The Hebrew Bible ends with the book of Malachi. It's the last of the prophets, the minor prophets. And if you'll turn back, it's only a couple pages, but it's about 450 years to go back several pages from Matthew 3 to Malachi. The People of Israel have had these words ringing in their ears for 450 years where there's been no word of the Lord in the same sense because the canon of this had closed. So there wasn't this definitive word and they'd been in exile. They'd been now under Roman rule after the Greeks and they had been wondering, Lord, how are you going to fulfill your word? The The book of Malachi's theme is that you've left the covenant You're under God's judgment that the reason you're in exile is because you haven't valued your relationship with me. And so Jews would have been really familiar with this. And if um, I have a a verse up there, uh, Josh, if you could bring up this verse from Malachi. Behold, 
says, this is chapter 3, verse 1, I, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. You, know those, you heard those words before? And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So we have this word about preparing the way, a messenger. And this, the Lord is going to come into his temple. And then again in chapter 4, uh, we go, it says, chapter Malachi 4, 4, remember the law of my servant Moses. We looked at last week how the, the uh, Jews reading the book of Matthew would have made an association with Moses. And I talked about why that was, why that would have been a really strong connection for them. Uh, and it's on the website. You can listen to it if you'd like. The, Behold, the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Then in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So this is some of the final chapters in the final book of their of what was so important to them, their holy writ. And so... For us, we may not open Matthew 1 and read in, in, the, in the sense of Malachi, but they would have. So if we've talked about the major biblical characters, who are the people that best represent? David, Abraham, Moses. These are the biggies. The next one would be Elijah, the pinnacle of all prophets. These are, these are the names. This is the honor roll of the Old Testament. And so in Matthew 3... Walking in to, to these verses, they know Elijah is preceding the Lord coming. And he talks about this messenger who will speak of prepare ye the way. And here in Matthew 3, verse 2, repent, John said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the theme of Malachi as well. Turn back to the Lord. For this is he who was spoken of. Now he mentions Isaiah 40, but listen to the words. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And then in verse 4, we have these words. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Again, we read this in the 21st century, and it looks like kind of a strange wild man out of the wilderness. Jews wouldn't have just seen something like that. That wouldn't have been what they would have seen. Now, we do you know today that people are associated with dress, right? Do you have your uh, your stove stovepipe hat and your whiskers and your gangly, right? You're dressed up like who? Right? Abraham Lincoln. We know that culturally, right? There's a commercial right now for um I think it's like Apple Federal Credit Union. Josh, if you could bring up that picture. And this guy is shilling for this credit union, right, for Apple. And he, he happens to be dressed in this dark sort of pullover sweater and these jeans talking about new innovations and all this. And, you know, if you're under 50 or 60, I don't know. But you, you, you see Steve Jobs, right, because just of the way he's dressed, right? 
This guy looks a little bit like him, but it's the dress, it's the glasses, it's what he's wearing. So now let's go and see First Kings or Second uh, Kings one eight, right? So let's bring up the verse here. This is talking huge portion of scripture for Jews. They answered him, Elijah, who stood up to Ahab, who's returned the the, the people to the covenant, who is. Uh, come against uh, the the uh, heresy of of Jezebel, and this man Elijah. It says they answered him. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist, and they said, "It is Elijah the Tishbite." You getting the connection here? Let's go back to Matthew. Let's look at the language. It's the only two pieces of scripture that says this. Nobody else is described like this. Look at how he's described Matthew 3. John wore a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. Any Jew who knew anything about the Bible, which is almost all Jews at that time, would have said, that's Steve Jobs. It's Abraham. Lincoln. Not Abraham of the Bible. It's, it's Elijah. And that takes them right to Malachi, which says, this is Elijah. This is the one. Now, it is not Elijah incarnate. John himself says later when they ask him, are you Elijah? He says, I'm not Elijah. I'm not, I'm not a, a same person. But I have the spirit of Elijah. He had the spirit of that prophet that's a precursor to Jesus. Now, why is that important? Again, just like all these lines he's throwing to us saying, this isn't two books, the Old Testament, the New Testament, this is one story of salvation. You're going to hear today, it's ever since Marcion in the second century began to preach it, you're going to hear people say, well, there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament, and you can't take that Old Testament stuff so much because it's the New Testament, that's the love God. No, this is one story of a God of redemption, and we, we rip asunder the one truth when we when we rend that so so we reject that there's two gods or two stories here so john's story john's in in some ways doesn't show up much but where he comes as this arrow pointing to jesus just as abraham moses elijah is doing the same son of david they're pointing this is the fulfillment this is the continuation of everything the Old Testament spoke of, a God who would redeem. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John causes quite the splash. People come. It's a, it's a fairly long way from the Jordan River to Jerusalem. No cars, no mass transit. This is a walk. This is uh, not, a, not, not an inconsequential walk to get out there. But he was a man of the wilderness. He's, he lives on wilderness food, these locusts and wild honey. He looks like a man of the wilderness. He's not one who's soft. He's one who's tough and who comes with a message that says, look, there's a couple things you need to do. He, we don't know what John's conception was of Jesus or what was coming. We know in some ways the Spirit gives him the ability. We're going to find next week that he recognizes Jesus. But we don't know exactly what he knew but what about Jesus. But what he did know was that his call was to say, 
You need to repent. You need to turn your heart toward God. And you need to make the path straight. Make the path straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. In verse 5, it says, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, I think we need to just just say one word about this, because I've always, something's really struck me tough about this, because I look at baptism. I look at baptism, if you're baptized as an adult going into, I'm not talking about infant baptism, but baptized as an adult, this is a response to faith. That's proper immersion baptism. You believe in Jesus, and that as a public sign of that, you're baptized. But here people are being baptized, and this is pre-Jesus, right? He hasn't showed up on the scene yet. They're going in because they in some way are convicted by John's message. I want us to be careful not to make a direct parallel that this is exactly like baptism today, post-faith. And we're going to talk a little bit as we see Jesus' baptism, why I think that is, that there's parallels, but it's not exact. So I don't want to think to say, well, gee, do we go and make ourselves all like, do we wash ourselves before Jesus gets there? Do we confess all our sins and get ourselves all right with God by, you know, kind of saying, okay, I'm a sinner. Now where's Jesus? I think there's a little bit different story here. These are people of the covenant. He was crying out to Israel who had left the love of their father. See, Israel had known and been given the law and had been given a plan and a path, but they were apathetic toward it. In many ways, they didn't know it anymore. And so I think we might want to see this parallel even better than a salvation issue, like someone who doesn't know Christ being baptized to one who does, is I want us to think about, for those of you who are Christians, who would name yourself as followers of Christ, I want you to hear John's call this morning to us, not as you're not saved, you need to be saved, but I want you to hear this call of, do you and I need to turn our lives and repent? The things that God was calling me this week to repent from were things like thinking I had to have all the answers for a situation where there are no perfect answers. That I doubted that God could come through in something like a Building Hope campaign. I, I doubted, God, I'm just not able. We're just not able. And what I'm really saying is, as the people of God, Lord, you're not able. And my repentance was to say, Lord, I have to constantly turn back to you as my source. Lord, I don't have a voice. How am I going to do this? I'm scratching stuff out. No one's going to hear this. I'm going to not be adequate. I'm going to not be sufficient. Do you think you're not adequate for the task? Whatever God's calling you to, you don't have the answers for your relatives that need you, your sons or your daughters or your parents or your siblings or friends that need answers. I don't know what to say. They're coming to me with this and that, and I don't know. Well, I don't either. Repent and know that God does. Do you think, well, I don't, I don't have the resources. I don't have the resources for, for this or this or this or this. 
Neither do I. But God does repent and say, God, I give it to you. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to muster up what's needed for tomorrow. Right. That's the beauty of walking with Jesus. You don't have tomorrow's grace today. You've got today's grace today. Right? So repent of trying to appropriate tomorrow's grace today. I don't know how you're going to make it tomorrow, but I know that the God of tomorrow is going to walk with you. And there'll be the resources available to do what he's called you to do. Repent. And with what voice I have left, I'm going to ask how, how do we prepare the way? Well, the word there, the, the sort of literal meaning of preparing the way is the sense of clearing a, a road from blockages. It says, I'm going to make the valleys smooth. I'm going to make the high places. I'm going to bring them down low. I'm going to help you walk on a more level path. You've seen when they like cut roads through the mountains, right? It's amazing. You go up toward like Pittsburgh or some of those places and you kind of, there's a tunnel. Like in the middle of a mountain, in the stinking mountain, there's a tunnel, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's amazing. And somebody said, well, look, it's, you know, we, we've got to make a road to get from here to here. And we could go like this and like this, but we're just going to clear it out. We just have the resources to do that. And sometimes when the dip is too much or this way is too much or that way, they bring it together and it takes some time and effort and energy, but they make a road and they prepare it so that everyone that follows from then on has a direct way to get there. There's blockages in roads. There's things that happen that we, we have to clear the way. And again, not I'm, I, I want to make clear the distinction. I'm not talking about salvation and in some way you can clear the bad out of your life to become acceptable to be saved. We're going to set that aside for a discussion next week, but... But what I'm saying is this, is that the Lord God wants to be actively involved in your life. If you hear nothing else this morning, please hear that. The Lord God, through his son Jesus, wants to be actively involved in your life. But there are blockages that sometimes I think we maintain I don't know what your blockages are. I could give you a list of mine that we put in the way that so distract us or so make our lives and our affections and our hearts away from God that he calls us to set those things aside. And I think that's what John was calling for the covenant people, for the people of Israel, to say, you have let other things come in the way of your relationship with God. And so very simply, I, I've, I would ask my own heart this morning, and I'd ask you, is there anything that's blocking, that's a high hill, a low, a low dip, that you're saying, you know, I, I, I'd love to be a more walking with God, better Christian, however you want to phrase it, but, you know, I, I just name your thing. Whatever your excuse is, I would say to you, that's the thing, you need to prepare the way. You need to remove those places so that there's no blockage 
for a promised people receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of God's presence in His Spirit in your life. The reason John said this, the reason God was given this call in and John was given this call through God was that the day of the Lord was at hand. The kingdom was at hand. Why was the kingdom at hand? Because the king was actually there, right? He was just about to walk into his public ministry on the scene. Where the king comes, so is the kingdom. And so the urgency that you hear in John's voice and why he says to the Pharisees and the others who came maybe to question the baptism, or maybe they were doing it, but they had no intention of changing their lifestyle, changing their belief systems, putting everything on the table. They had no intention. He calls them out in very uh, unflattering language. To be called viper, brood of snakes, it's not very politically correct. It wasn't very kind then or now, but he John was a man of the wilderness, and he called it exactly as he saw it. They were being devious. They were being uh, not true to what God had called. And he says, there's urgency today because the king is here. And I would just want to say to us, there's urgency today. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Walking with families this week through tragedy, you don't wake up on any one day thinking, well, this is the day. If we knew the day the thief was going to come in, we'd have locked the doors that day, wouldn't we? That's what the Bible says. If we'd have, if we'd have known the day. The Bible says we don't know the day, but what I know is there's a sense of urgency because the King is here. The Holy Spirit is here. He's here on earth. He's here illuminating and breathing into our lives. And so our need to repent isn't necessarily that there's been some uh, egregious sin, maybe there has been, but we need to turn to know that our relationship with God is not going to be hindered by anything, any roadblocks, and that our repentance, our turning to Him is complete because with the coming of the Holy Spirit comes the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Who of us doesn't want the love and the joy and the peace and the long-suffering and the patience and the gifts the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Who doesn't want those? I do. We do as a body. And so as my voice fades off into the night, let me just say one last thing. The mark of this time was people coming and confessing their sin. It's an amazing thing. Nancy and I had a very stark, we, we shared this story. I know each of us have shared this story at times, but we had a very um, vivid example of this in the church we served at in Central Florida, where uh, a man, well-known man, been a leader in the congregation, stood up, and he said, before we uh, go on with the service, I just want to confess to you that I got drunk last night. I was ugly to my wife and children. I sinned against you and against God, and I just have to confess this publicly because it's a shame. And you'd think, well, you know, we could say on one sense that was pretty ugly for a leader in your church to act like that. He was right. He wasn't underselling what he'd done. It was pretty ugly. I, I hesitate to think there were more Sundays in that church where the Holy Spirit ended up not being more present. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop, believe me. And the service starts like that. It gets people's attention. 
the confession of sin opened up a pathway for the Holy Spirit for others to come forward and to confess their sin. You'll find the mark of every revival ever done is the confession of sin, the public confession of sin. I'm not going to make some, the Bible doesn't doctrinally say this must happen before revival comes, so I'm not going to make that. I'm just telling you that uh, I don't know how many of you think we need a revival in our nation. I, I would think it'd be a really good thing. Um, needed. I would say a pretty good place to start is that we, as the body of Christ, would not hesitate to confess our sin. We can't manipulate this. We can't emotionally bring something up and say, well, this is what everybody's going to do now. But I want to sensitize us as just a small piece of the body of Christ that we would take as as people are coming forward, Jews confessing their sins and saying, yes, John, I want to prepare the way. They didn't know what that meant. I guarantee you no Jew in the Jordan River that day had any true conception of who was walking among them. But they took John's call seriously. And those who responded in humility and with confession were going to be able to experience the power of God in their midst. May it be that we do the same. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for a body that loves their pastor when he's weak, when he's in need of repentance. Lord, I'm not saying that to get some brownie points because I know it's true that I'm a man full of doubt and full of, um, of, of spiritual warfare and battle going on inside of me. And yet I know, Lord, that this is what you call us to, to be people that welcome the presence of God walking in our midst, that you will walk on the roads that have been prepared for you. Sometimes, thank you, Jesus, you bust through roads that aren't even prepared for you. But how much better when we've taken seriously. Lord, help us to be people that live in constant repentance. To be people who live constantly open to the possibility of change. Lord, as we step into beginning this season in the, our church's life and we'll bring forward our cards, I ask you, Father, to build your kingdom, Lord, in our midst, in our lives. And I would pray, Lord, that you would do your work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, can I have, um, can someone who knows where the um, children's ministry people are, the, um, who knows, um, Brian, are you here? Let's see. Brian, could you go and, and ask the, the teachers and the kids to go ahead and come in now as we, w- during the closing song? It's going to be a little crowded, a little noisy, but I want our, our, everyone to be able to come up front. What we're going to do is this. We're going to close with the song, Build Your Kingdom Here. Our, 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 our goal in Living Hope is not to build a building. Our goal is to build a kingdom, the kingdom of God. A building is, a, we've talked about this, a facility and a mechanism for doing this. So we're going to close with that song. And then I'm going to just ask some of the guys, if, if Doug and Joe and, and 
uh, Rob, some of these guys can, we're just going to kind of push some of these chairs in these front rows, just kind of back off to the side, just put them up. I'm going to ask everybody to just step forward so that we're sort of one body here at the front of the church, not at the beginning of the song, at the very end. And then we're going to, um, together, we're just going to lay, those of you who have brought cards this week, lay them in this bowl and uh, you just put them in. And then we're, we're as a body just going to pray over them. If you forgot your card this week or whatever, it's fine. We're going to have, we'll, we'll have the cards available and up here over the next couple of weeks before we do a sort of a final, final tally and count. But um, we want to build God's kingdom. And so we're going to come as one family. And I just would like families and, and uh, as, as one body of Christ to come forward. So we'll sing the final song. And then I'll ask guys to just push the chairs back just to give us enough room so we're not tripping over each other in the aisles, okay? So let's stand together. Musicians, come up front, and let's sing this song. <laughs>